Well, we're going to continue tonight on a third part of a series we've been talking about called Life Together. And the series is about Christian community, building Christian community. And we've been talking about what it looks like for us to build community here at IHOP and some of the the foundational things that we've got to get in place. And so I spent a couple weeks talking about what Christian community looks like and how the foundation of Christian community is really the fact that we have relationship with Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Holy Spirit and His Son, the Father's Son, Jesus. And, uh, and from that basis, we have relationship and fellowship, community with one another. And oftentimes in the body of Christ, that we, we have this idea of fellowship and community, but we base it on other things. And the truth of the matter is, 1 John is really, really clear that Christian community is based firstly on our relationship with Christ, the fact that we have uh, uh, connection with the Father, with the Son, that our hearts experience revelation in the Word, and then from there, we're able to connect and relate to one another. And that's a powerful, powerful truth. There's almost nothing like it when you have what I would say is a sharpening relationship with another believer, and you've got some of those relationships, I'm sure, that every time you get around them, there's just an encouragement, there's just a a word, a scripture, something, and, and your heart's you know, continue to grow because of your relationship with the Lord individually. It sharpens one another. I have a f- f- several friends that are like that. I was just with one of them in St. Louis, Stuart Greaves. Every time he and I are together, it's, it's amazing. One of the amazing things is that almost without, I mean, without fail, almost every time we connect, and we'll connect every three to six months, we're actually studying the same stuff in the Bible unbeknownst to each other. And we'll start sharing out of what the Lord's been you know, sharing with us, and we'll be on the exact same verses, on the exact same focus. That's probably happened 10 times in seven years. And uh, just over and over and over. Well, that's, that's where fellowship is. I mean, he is, one of my, he is one of my dear heart friends because of that. My, our fellowship is firstly with the Father and the Son, and then with one another. And so... Uh, we laid that foundation, and then last week, we, uh, I was out of town, and we had uh, Jamie Burns Pridgen come, and she shared on Sermon on the Mount how to deal with conflict in meekness, and because if you're going to really go there in community, you're going to get in a fight with somebody every now and then. Amen. <laughs> so we had her come last week and help us with the fact that we'll probably tick each other off every now and then. And have to work through that. Amen. <laughs> I guess that's just the way to say it. You just frustrate each other. But that's part of it. That you have to grow through conflicts. So this week, what I wanted to do is this. I wanted to lay out, uh, as clear as I can, the, the, some key components to our mission at the House of Prayer. Um, you know, the idea of community, it's... It's common unity. You have this unity together around something. Well, firstly, as I said, it's around Christ. And then secondly, it's around a mission or a vision and, and, and what that looks like together where we, we are together running the same direction after a vision or a mission that the Lord has placed before us. And so I want to just, as, as clearly as I can, touch our mission statement, 
and some of the key premises that we operate from tonight. Just want to go through those uh, with the idea that I can hopefully bring some clarity and, and, um, and, and really do this. You know, as I'm sharing this, my heart is this, that, you know, some of you will hear these things and you'll think, man, that's it. That's where my heart resonates. That's the mission's vision that I want to be in on. I'm all in on that. And that's awesome. And your heart will burn with these ideas and you'll be like, I'm in on that. I'm going for that. And, and then if that's the case with you, then this is your place. You're in the right place. Well, here's what also may happen, and I'm totally good with it. You might hear me share our mission statement and, and some of these key premises and go, you know, I don't really connect to that at all. You know, I, that, that's cool, but it's not really my heart. And to that, I would say, high five, no problem. Amen to you. That's great, because at least now it's brought clarity and I would encourage you, find a community that you can burn with whatever the mission and the, the premises are behind that spiritual family, that, that Christian community. Does that make sense? It's rare that a pastor would come up and say, hey, if you find somewhere else you'd like to go to, just go there. But that's, that's how we feel. I don't feel like uh, this is, um, I mean, we have a senior leadership team. I'm the leader of the leadership team. I'm the human leader. But this is Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' community. The church is Jesus' church. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. The bridegroom has the bride. The friend of the bridegroom tries to help beautify the bride for the bridegroom. Like, that's my job, to try to help us become more beautiful for him. Amen? You know, I'm hoping to give us some beauty treatments and put a little dab will do me on myself on the way. You know what I mean? I don't own the bride. Hello? In fact, no leader owns the bride except for Jesus. Amen. And, and really, I mean, there really, uh, not might be, there will be some rude awakenings at the judgment seat of Christ when leaders stand before the Lord and he's going to go, you know, the whole time you actually thought it was your church, you talked about your church, your people, you're this and you're that. And he's going to say, that's really cute and all, but the whole time it was actually my church. It was actually my bride. And uh, there may be a few rude awakenings going on. I'm like, no, Lord, it's your bride, your church. I'm here to serve your people. And hopefully we can all look good for him by the time it's all said and done. Amen. So with that, uh, I'm happy for your response, either like I'm all in or, you know, that doesn't really resonate with me. I'm totally happy for that. But I want to bring clarity because if we're talking about community, we need to know what we're gathering around. Does that make sense? What we're connecting our heart to in terms of vision and mission. So I want to do that tonight. So I've got you a little uh, handout right here where we've got our mission statement and five key premises that we operate from. And I'm just going to work through these and give understanding to them. And, um, and hopefully it will bring clarity to your heart. Now, I will say this. I am giving you the, uh, I'm giving you the, the bottom line. I'm giving you the answers, so to speak. Uh, I'm not showing you all the math, all the theology that goes behind all this. I'm giving you a verse or two, and, in, and I'm encouraging you to check it out on your own. But I will say this, that our premises and our mission statement actually have a depth of theology behind them. They have a solid scriptural backing, 
And so I threw a few verses in there, so you, sort of to tweak you and, and get you on a journey if you want to go through it and, and go into it and do some study on your own. We've supported all this in the oodles of teaching we do uh, in classes and in seminars and in our, in our Sunday services. But what I'm giving you are the, the, the premises. I'm giving you the, the conclusions and not showing all the theology. So let's go ahead and let's move through this. Let me just read our mission statement. It has three parts. Here it is. Shifting the spiritual climate over our region, resulting in revival in the church and reformation in the world, planting churches and houses of prayer centered in night and day prayer throughout the cities of the earth, raising up forerunners committed to prayer, fasting, and fulfilling the Great Commission. Three parts, shifting, planting, and raising. Now, I will tell you that the way that I got into this whole thing of night and day prayer wasn't because I thought of myself as a prayer guy. I liked prayer. I liked worship. I liked worship more than prayer. But I was a revival guy. I was a guy that got pierced with the vision for revival around 1994, something like that, 94, 95. God was beginning to move in the earth. People were experiencing outpourings of the Holy Spirit in different places. And, and I began to study and hear about historic moves of the Spirit of God where, where the Lord had breathed and power on cities and regions. And, and, I, and I began to read these things and they just ignited in my heart. I remember reading about the Welsh revival in, in, in 1904 and Evan Roberts. And he was this young man, this, this 26-year-old young man that God used mightily to break open revival in Wales. And uh, in, in about a 12-month period of time, they saw 100,000 salvations in Wales. And then in about a two-and-a-half-year period of time, they literally did a census of the nation and it was 100% born-again Christian in the census. And so they, they, the, the police were unemployed. They, in certain cities, they didn't have the bars open anymore. The, the, the policemen were just sort of on vacation the entire time. Nobody went to jail because nobody was doing crime. The fear of the Lord was on the place. And literally thousands upon thousands were gripped with the presence of the Lord and with the fear of the Lord. And throughout the, the nation of Wales, this revival, it swept thousands upon thousands into the kingdom of God. I remember getting a vision for that and thinking, if that happened in 1904, well, that can happen now. That, we don't have to, you know, that's real. Like, that's just 100 years ago. Like, we can do that today. God, he, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and then I read about the Hebrides revival in 1948 and the Hebrides Islands, the, the Scottish Hebrides and and the Isle of Lewis, where a man by the name of Duncan Campbell was a preacher invited to do a series of meetings there. And there were these two Smith sisters. Their, their names uh, were, were Smith, Christine, and I can't remember. I always forget the one sister's name. But 86 and 88-year-old ladies had been intercessors there in the Hebrides. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and broke open a move of the Spirit that saw the entire Hebrides Islands come to the knowledge of Jesus, and it was so severe, the move of God was so severe that people who were unsaved, totally unchurched, were, they were turning themselves into the police 
Because the conviction of God had fallen on them. They didn't even know what to do. They were showing up at the police station and repenting. Now, come on. That's revival. They're like, I don't know if it's against the law or not, but I got to repent at the police station. They don't know. They're so unchurched. They don't even know to go to church. The conviction of God's resting on them. And so I was re- I'd read stories like this and Cane Ridge Revival and the Azusa Street Revival. And I just read these first and second good week. I got so gripped with it. So I was a revival guy, and through all that reading and study of, of revival history, I found out there was one, at least one key con- uh, common denominator, and there's several, but at least one was that every major revival was preceded by a massive movement of prayer. Every last one of them. And so because I was a revival guy and I wanted revival, I became a prayer guy. And so we trained our youth ministry. I was a youth pastor. We trained our youth ministry to pray. That's all I knew to do. I trained them to pray. We'd have prayer meetings. I'd grab some of my own guys and we'd pray in the morning. We'd pray at night. You know, we, we'd pray uh, during the services. We added prayer meetings in the week with the youth ministry. I had, I had intercessors praying throughout every service. Some of you are here. I'm looking at you. And uh, there were some this morning that were here. And, and this is what we did. We, we trained them to pray to get something to pop in the spirit because we knew that if we wanted revival, we'd have to do prayer. Well, from that engagement with prayer, the Lord totally blindsided me and invited me into night and day prayer. Now, I was always the guy that thought of prayer as the way to get what you wanted from God. So I kind of thought like prayer is like labor and revival is sort of like the birth of the baby, you know, and I kind of wanted the baby to come. I didn't want to stay in labor 24-7, you know what I'm saying? And all the mamas said amen. And so when God called me to 24-7 worship and prayer, I thought, I'm going to be in the labor room for the rest of my life. Oh, no. And one of the key things the Lord did in my heart was he transitioned my mentality of prayer. And he began to teach me that prayer is not simply a means to an end, but prayer is an end in itself. Because I'd always seen prayer as the way to get God to move. And, and someone said to me once, it was actually my friend Stuart, he said this to me. He said that you think prayer is a means to an end, but I want to tell you that prayer is the end itself. He said this because when every demon is bound, when the devil himself is thrown in the lake of fire, when everybody that's going to get saved is saved, there's one thing that we'll still have. We won't have revival meetings. We'll actually have communication with Jesus. That's called a prayer life. He said that the discipling of the nations ends with every person having an intimate relationship, and a communication life with the Godhead, that's called prayer. Prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is an end in itself. Man, that shifted my paradigm. I went, right. God's goal for humanity is relationship. Now, he uses salvation, evangelism, mission, revival to bring people into relationship, but ultimately, he's taking them uh, from being unsaved to being saved. He's taking them from not being in relationship to being in relationship. Why? So that they can have intimacy with him. That's called prayer. 
Prayer's not a means to an end, it's an end in itself. And so from there, that's how the Lord got me into this. And so that's where our mission statement starts. So the mission of the house of prayer is to shift the spiritual climate over our region, resulting in revival in the church and reformation in the world. Revival in the church and reformation in the world. Now, I know a lot of people have a different idea. There's many, many different ideas about what revival or reformation looks like. I will tell you what I think it looks like. Revival isn't a uh, series of meetings. It's not a week you know, special where you have a, a guest speaker in. Uh, revival is not even just sort of a, a season of good meetings, though it, it may in- include that. What I'm thinking about when I'm saying revival and reformation is like what they saw in Wales. It's like what they saw in Hebrides. It's a God takeover of the society. It's God coming down in power and sending a shockwave through every facet of the society, through every sphere in, in the economics, the education, the entertainment, the business. The, I mean, every sphere of the society getting hit with the power of God, the government, until what you see is that the righteousness of the kingdom of God gets manifest in those areas because the power of God has invaded those areas. I'm not talking about a nice little service or two or a week of services or even six months. I'm believing God. This is where we're going. This is what's in our, in our sights. This is one of the key reasons we pray. It's for a God takeover in Gwinnett County, in Atlanta, in the southeast, and our nation. That the kingdom of God would come in power, that massive numbers of souls would get born again, that mass numbers of healings, deliverances would take place, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified in mass. I mean, thousands upon thousands. That Jesus would truly be glorified for who he is. I don't know if that excites you, but that's, that excites me. That's what makes my heart move, that Jesus would be magnified. He would be glorified. The glory to his name. An invasion of God's presence, of God's glory throughout the society. So it has two phases. Revival in the church. That's where the church comes alive. Revival is principally about that which was once alive, but has become dry or dead, receiving a recovery of life. So the church being revived. I'm talking about fire in every church. I don't care which denomination. I want all the denominations. Catholic, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Salvation Army, Assembly of God, Church of God, United Pentecostal, AME, Church of God in Christ. I don't care if they like Jesus. I want fire on them. That would be revival. Non-denominational, non-descript, trendy, seeker, whatever. Who cares? Power on the church. Life breathes into the church once again. Amen. That's revival. But it doesn't just stop with the church. That's step one. And when revival hits the church, reformation will hit the society because a burden 
burning church with the fire of God will bring impact into every sphere of the society. And so when I'm thinking of Reformation, I'm thinking of like what they saw in Wales. But why does it have to be 100 years ago in Wales? Why can't it be right now in America? You know, in Wales, one of the key industries that they had was mining. And they had these, uh, these coal horses that would, they used them to carry the coal and, and to do different things, to plow in different things in the tunnels. Well, they, they had trained their horses because so many of the miners, they were, just, they were just filthy, perverse, you know, men. They trained their horses with curse words. So they would use a curse word, and it would be something that the horse knew to do for their job. Do you know that they actually, there's literally reports of them having to retrain all of the horses because all these miners got saved, and they didn't want to cuss at their horses anymore. Come on. I mean... That's what the, you know, the thing is. It hits society and it, and it transitions every part of the society. That which is corrupt, justice comes to it. But it's more than just sort of people getting right with God. It is the presence of God invading. I mean, in the street, in the bank, in the gas station, in the grocery store, in the school. What about the, the power of God invading your workplace till the fear of God is on everybody and, and, and literally people are running to you saying, what must I do to be saved? Am I up here? I am up here preaching on revival. What about, let's just try this one more time, the power of God invading your workplace to the extent that the fear of the Lord rolls through the business and people are smitten and convicted over what they've done with Jesus. They're they're convicted over the fact that they're lost to the point where they're literally running to you and saying, what must I do to be saved? That's what I'm thinking about. This is where we're going. This is where we're headed. This is what we're aiming for. We're aiming for a shift of the spiritual climate to such an extent that the heavens are ripped open, the presence and the power of God is poured in, and it radically, dramatically affects every sphere of society, starting with life breathed into the church and reformation released in the earth. That's where we're going. Secondly, from that place of continuous prayer and intercession, we want to plant churches and houses of prayer centered in night and day prayer throughout, throughout the cities of the earth, here in Atlanta, but all over the place. I'm thinking about uh, Roman and Annalisa Diostato, and we've talked about them several times, and they are right now in process of transitioning to Matamoros, Mexico, where they're planting a house of prayer in probably one of the most dangerous parts of the world, right there, dead center in the drug, the, one of the cities that's been overrun by the drug cartel. I remember when Roman came to me, he said, I've got a vision to put a house of prayer in northern Mexico. He kind of had this wild look in his eye. I said, amen, brother. Let's pray that God will raise somebody up to do that. <laughs> like, like, I'm not planning on going there anytime soon. You know what I mean? He goes, well, I'm from there. 
I go, okay. He goes, I feel like the Lord would have me to do it. I go, great, let's pray. I'm going, oh my God, shitaraba, whoo, help him, Lord. Well, here we are, probably a year later, the facility is done, the land is there, it's all paid for, and they are ready to move now and actually go and start prayer meetings and start a church right there in Matamoros, uh, Mexico. He said he went down there and, and met some of the local pastors and and they said, you know, you can do ministry in this area, but they said, but over that way, don't, don't go over there. That's, that's definitely not where you want to do the ministry. And the guy was pointing directly at where their land is. And I'm going, Lord. Beloved, this is part of our mission, part of our vision, part of something God's given us to do. And what he's obviously making clear is that he wants to send uh, missionaries and plant churches and houses, houses of prayer in the hardest and darkest, darkest areas. And so we are going to, uh, and we are, and we are going to even more, get completely behind this, this house of prayer plant. In the past, we sort of spawned ministries. Three or four or five ministries have come out of here, got the vision for it in the house of prayer when they were here for a season. And, and we've always blessed them and high-fived them. But the Lord this year shifted us into an aggressive planting mode where we're going to capital P plant people, you know, encourage people to go, encourage people to sow, to, to really support ministries that people have a vision to plant either a house of prayer or a church with a prayer culture. And so I'll just say that. If that's you, if you have a vision to do something like that, man, we want to get behind you and, and launch you and plant you. Well, this year we'll see three or four of these ministries planted right out of here, capital P planted. And I want to tell you about one that we're going to do right now, right here. Now, we're a missions base. We have a church community. We have multiple departments and outreaches and ministries. And so under the umbrella of the missions base, there's plenty of room for multiple congregations. One of the things the Lord dealt with us about earlier in the year was planting a church that would specifically target 18, really 15 to 25-year-olds, uh, older teenagers, and young adults. And so as we prayed about this thing, we started getting a vision for it, and we are going to right now plant a church that will meet on Thursday nights. It will be here. It will be part of our missions base, but it will be a, a specific focused congregation to reach really that 15 to 25-year-old age group. We're taking aim at GGC and Collins Hill, do you know that we have 12,000 students on our doorstep between the college and the high school? That didn't even count the middle school that's one of the largest in the nation, which is, you could probably hit a golf ball to it from our backyard. But just between Collins Hill and GGC, 12,000 gift-wrapped, ready-to-get-saved students on our doorstep. And so we are are going to aggressively and intentionally reach out to the college campus and to Collinsville High School. I want to ask Jamie Pridgen, the man, Jamie Daniel Pridgen, to come because he and his wife are going to actually be pastors of this church plant that we're going to do on Thursday night. So just share a thought or two on that church plant. Yeah, so um, this is a uh, this is a really uh, 
powerful opportunity that we have sitting our doors. In fact, it's actually uh, 13,000 students between the... We'll take another 9,000. 9,500, right, GGC, which, uh, I mean... Which there's another, like, three middle school. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So 15,000. I mean, come on. This is, I mean, and all within a mile of, of our house of prayer. I, sometimes I wonder if the Lord didn't even send us here a few years in advance to get established just for this outreach and this, this harvest field that's right on our doorstep. But um, I, uh, so just to, just want to give it briefly, what happened was um, the Lord actually spoke to us about this in uh, 2008. So whatever that is, four years ago. And uh, it, of course, we didn't understand it at the time, as how it usually works. And the Lord gives uh, prophetic words, sometimes you don't understand it then, and then it comes clear later on. But uh, there was a, a, a powerful prophetic word that was given to us, um, very dramatically, the way the Lord uh, uh, delivered it. Um, basically gave 50 or more different specific prophetic words for people in our house, and then gave a list of things that were going to take place at the house of prayer and a part of the movement the Lord was going to establish. Uh, much of which we actually saw, we actually watched come to pass. Um, specifically, I'll just give you an example. You guys remember the awakenings that took place um, about two years ago? That was actually in this prophetic word in 2008. It actually had the timing indicator of when that would take place. Now, our dullness, you know, we, a lot of times what happens is, is the thing hits, it happens, then we go back and read the word, we go, oh, there it is, <laughs> you know, afterwards. And so many times it was like that. But um, it also within this word, there was a, a word about uh, IHOP community, and then right next to it, there was a word about uh, that the Lord was going to lay tracks between GGC and IHOP Atlanta. And that there would be a connection point, which is interesting. I don't know if you guys notice, notice that they're getting closer to IHOP. You notice that? I mean, they just keep building. Pretty soon, we're going to be like, "Hey, there, there they are." So, um, but they're, it's literally the school's actually getting closer. It's pretty, pretty interesting. But um, said that, the, the, and, it's, and this word said that that influx of people were going to come. A large group of people, the Lord was going to begin to send from uh, Georgia Gwinnett College to the House of Prayer. And honestly, when we first got the word, it, it, it we never shared it because there was like nine people that went to school there. It was kind of like it was, I mean, it was actually like a small like yeah it, it was it was five hundred to a thousand Georgia perimeter a couple hundred students there and so when when we talk about you know it wasn't very exciting to say there's going to be a revival and multitudes are coming from the school with two hundred people it just it just didn't have that you know it didn't ring true it just yeah just it like okay let's stick that on the <laughs> shelf and um. And the Lord said specifically that it was going to be a youth and young adults, which is interesting because the Lord, we believe, also is using, saying, targeting high school as well in this thing. And so um, uh, that we needed to get systems in place and get uh, things prepared for what the Lord was going to do and begin to bring. And, uh, and it's just, it just rings so true because the Lord said over and over again that this, this movement is about the 20-year-olds in the sense that the Lord's going to build much of the night and day prayer off that young generation. And so the Lord's actually giving us an opportunity uh, to reach out. So what happens is we, we had the word in 2008. And um, about uh, several months ago, I mean, it could have been a year ago, maybe a little bit before then, um, uh, as actually my wife has this uh, pretty powerful dream. Uh, I remember she wakes up and she tells me, and she goes, she says, uh, she says, she goes, Jamie has had a powerful dream. She said, basically in the dream, the Lord, she hears the Lord speak, and he says, now is the time to get on GGC's campus. And I remember when she said that to me, it just rung true in my heart, and I was like, I was like yeah, we got to go do that. But I'm like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you just get on the campus? How do you go stand on the quad and just? And so I, so I finally, after several months, I was like, oh, let me go give this a shot. So I just walked over there and I'm just like, you know, the old guy, you know, walking around and, uh, and 
I don't know what's going on. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I'm getting just feeling in my heart like we need to do a service, uh, like, a, like a church, for this campus, to reach out to this campus. And I'm, I'm getting stirred with it. L- little do I know, Billy's in China, and he is actually in China getting stirred over the issue of evangelism and, even, and the Lord is even specifically speaking about Georgia Gwinnett College to him. So he comes back from China, and he's stirred up about GGC and evangelism, and I'm like, hey, me too. At the same time, uh, another one of our staff members uh, doesn't know anything, emailed, says, I feel like we're supposed to start evangelism teams, and then, then long story short, it's towards GGC's campus. And I, we're feeling like, man, maybe we're supposed to do a service. I mean, we don't really tell anybody. And then I don't know if you guys know Ben Malasov. He reminds me of the Holy Spirit. He just kind of whisks in, you know what I'm saying? He gives you the prophetic word, then he kind of you know, floats back out. And um, he's in the prayer room, and he walks over to, to another one of our staff members, and he goes, he goes, hey, I was just in prayer, and I felt the Lord say that we need to do a service for GGC's campus. Amen. You know, we're like. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were like, okay, this, this seems like this is what we're supposed to do. And so what happens is, is shortly after, Billy and I, uh, I walk into his office, and he is stirred, feeling like we need to plant a church for GGC's camp, and he talks to me about it and about becoming the pastors of this thing. And the first when he heard it, I was like, I'm like, ah, I mean, I, I don't know. And then we began to, uh, we came out of the prayer room, and we began to just kind of pace and pray, and it was interesting. It was like we got into this divine swirl. We're sitting there, we're sitting there like pacing, and an idea would hit one of us, and we immediately come together, and we go, and, we, and it was like, it was like, that's the Lord! And then we go back and start walking, and then we come back, and we say it again, say something different, and it was like, that's the Lord! And I remember at the very end, we're thinking, I had this thought, or, or I don't know exactly how it worked out, but we had this this idea, I was like, what if this is about the Lord bringing multitudes, I mean, literally 9,500 students are over there because the Lord sees it as a harvest field. We're to go reap the harvest field because the Lord wants to get them into the culture of night-day prayer because he wants to send them to the nations into the 1040 window as missionaries uh, uh, bringing night-day prayer to the earth. And as we're, saying, as we're saying that, we look up and in walks Brother Yun and his team from back to Jerusalem, the largest mission organization, I mean, movement in the world. They come walking through our doors as we're talking about this. And we went, Oh, my gosh. It was like the Lord goes, no, this is exactly what this is about. We didn't know they were going to show up. They were coming. We just didn't know they were going to be here Yeah, that exactly. Day. They were coming yeah. that week or that Friday or whatever. Right. This is like Wednesday, and they show yeah. up. Yeah. In that very moment. In that very moment, as yeah. we're saying it. And it was just like, man, this is, this is the Lord. And so what we're going to do is this. Um, we're going to start our first church service um, to, towards the youth and young adults um, August the 30th. So we got just a little bit over a month. Uh, we're going to do it right here. And uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going we're gonna to target them, but it's going to be this. We're, we're, listen, they're going to come here. We're going to have prophecy and healing rooms running on the nights that all these college students show up. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to do, I mean, we're going to actually turn it into the, the most, we want to we have it, make it unique. I don't know if you guys have seen the back deck we're building out there. Let's, so they actually have somewhere to hang out. We're going to actually do that. But at the same time, they're gonna, it's going to be fun, but we want to give them the forerunner messages of nine-day yeah. prayer, eschatology, intimacy with God. And we want to call them out to this, to lifestyles of prayer and fasting. And so, like I said, it's going to be on August the 30th. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite any of you who have a heart to reach this generation. If you're young, uh, if you're a young adult or youth in here, and that's burning in you, uh, we want you to jump on board. If this is something that's in your heart. But now, listen, if you're, you're older, you know, I, I was thinking, I'm 31 now. I'm, I'm the old guy to one of them, I am, which is kind of weird to me, but I am now. But if you're older and older than me and you've got a heart burning for, to reach this generation, we, we want to, we, we're, the Lord said we've got to get systems in place. This is the time to assemble teams. So I want to invite you. If this is something that's burning your heart, what I'm going to do is after, right after this, um, right after the service, I'm going to meet in the, uh, the cafe. cafe. Um, I know we're going to be, a lot of people are going to be in there you know, eating and whatever. 
hanging out. But we're also I'm going to be in there, and I want to I want to get your I want to get your information. We want to we want to those that want to do this. We want you to sign up. Let's, let's do this thing together. We, we are looking for people that want to um, reach this generation. So, yeah. like I said, we're going to have an interest meeting just shortly after right after service out in the cafe. We'd love for you to come. So it starts August 30th. August 30th. And you guys are going to be the pastors of this church, but you're still on staff at IHOP. Yes. Still part of the missions base, just like regular. Right. And the congregation is under the umbrella of the missions base. Right. And basically, we're, this is just going to open up many on-ramps for people to get involved in the prayer movement. So in the sense, it is a church plant in that sense, but we're, we're, where some people may not come to IHOP because they Googled it, they'll come to this church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They'll come to the church, go, hey, this is pretty cool. They go, what do y'all do here? We do night and day prayer. Ooh, what is that? And the next thing you know, they're going to be right into the prayer movement. So we want we want to give that, open that door. And, and, uh, and you know, if they, if they don't come to IHOP, that's fine too. We just want to give them, we want to we we give the gospel. We want to reach the lost in this thing. So... It's a great opportunity. And if they're coming to the service, they really are coming to IHOP. Exactly. It's, it's it is, it is IHOP. When we just, yeah. Awesome. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's an example of our mission statement. It's an example of what the Lord's given us to do actually just beginning to happen. And, uh, man, I'm super, super excited about that. I really feel like what Jamie said, that the Lord is going to draw young people to GGC, to Collins Hill, so that he can brand them with the forerunner message and the prayer movement, so that he can launch them into the nations of the earth for prayer and the gospel. Come on. Why not? In this hour, I believe that's the Lord. Good. All right, next, on our mission statement, the third line is raising up forerunners committed to prayer, fasting, and fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, that word forerunners is a, is a, a bit of a, uh, a loaded term. Uh, it's a word that we use that describes, well, they're disciples with a view of the end of the age. And this is kind of how it works with a forerunner. Uh, a forerunner will be minding their own business, and the Lord will awaken their heart to what he's doing in the earth in that hour. And, and so throughout church history and throughout the Bible, there's always in every uh, activity of the Lord, in every move of the Spirit, every transitional generation where the Lord is moving in power, he always awakens the hearts of, of people in his church to what he's doing in the earth in that hour. And so when we say forerunner, we're thinking of a person that's a, an abandoned disciple who's given to fasting and prayer and, and has a vision for the, for the Great Commission with a, also a view of the end of the age. Because this is, beloved, we are in an hour where the nearness of the Lord's return is getting bigger and bigger on the horizon. And I, I can remember traveling and ministering, you know, 10, 15 years ago and and sort of the only people that were into end time stuff were sort of the, the people that tuned it in, you know, the, the eschatology guy on TV or something. And then I can remember, you know, five, six, seven years ago, starting to ask the question in different places where I'd minister, and I'd say, how many believe that, that the Lord's re- return is near? And I can remember seeing 50, 60, 70% of the hands going up, people believing that the, the Lord's return is, is near. That's the Lord awakening a generation and saying, I'm coming, and I'm coming quickly. And, and I would say this, ever since I was a young man, this is my own personal 
testimony. An, even an unsaved teenage young man who didn't, I didn't have any sensation of, of Jesus at all, I can remember grabbing my friends at different times and going, I don't know what's going to happen, but something big is going to happen in my life. I don't know what it is, but there is, I would say, there is a sense of destiny inside me. Something huge is going to happen in the earth. I didn't even have a picture of Jesus or the second coming, none of that. But as, I've, as I got saved and as I've grown up a bit in the Lord, I began to realize the Lord was speaking to my heart, even in an unsaved state, that he is doing something radical in the earth in this hour, that this generation is a transitional generation. And what he's doing is waking up the heart of many to his activities in the earth. And, and ultimately, what a forerunner biblically is, is one that would run ahead of the king and say, the king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming. And so that's what we're looking to raise up. Forerunners committed to fasting and prayer with a vision to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I mentioned a few weeks ago, and we will do a blessing service and, and a prayer time and everything, but I mentioned a few weeks ago that Wesley Huth is uh, transitioning. He's been our youth pastor uh, for the last year plus, and he is transitioning. We're about to plant him in the mission field. Well, he is a perfect example of what this, this line of our mission statement is about. A young man who's gotten burning white hot in the place of prayer, burning for the gospel to go to the nations, and now we're going to launch him to the mission field. He is a forerunner committed to prayer and fasting and seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. And here's my thing. I want to launch many, many, many forerunners into the nations, into this nation and the nations of the earth. I believe it's one of the, the, the key things the Lord has put before us, that in the greenhouse of night and day prayer, forerunners would grow, get their hearts fiery, white, hot, burning in passion for Jesus, committed to, to ceaseless prayer and, 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 and intercession, uh, believing for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I want to launch as many as the Lord will give us to the nations. Amen. All right. Let's look through then these key premises. I've only given five. Now, I will tell you this. I went back to some of our earliest vision statements, stuff that we wrote seven, eight years ago, and these key premises, I mean, we've, we've uh, made the language a little smoother or whatever, but it's the exact same points. These have not changed. These are the... the key things that we operate from. We believe this is what the Lord's doing in the earth. And as I said before, there's, there's clear biblical theology behind each one of these. Let me just work through them. The first key premise is this. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, is orchestrating a global prayer movement that will release justice across the earth. That will release justice across the earth. Justice. What is justice? Justice simply is making all the wrong things right. For the unsaved, justice is salvation. For the sick, justice is healing. For the demonized, justice is deliverance. The Lord is releasing a global prayer movement that will see justice invade every facet of every society all across the globe. Luke 18, 1 through 8, 
gives us a clear depiction of that, how night and day prayer, one of the results of it, is justice touching the earth. Now here's the thing. This prayer movement that God's weaving together right now, it's far bigger than any movement of prayer that the earth has ever seen. Beloved, it's already far bigger. It's not going to get far bigger. It's already far bigger. The number of praying communities, the number of ministries, churches, houses of prayer that are going after ceaseless worship and prayer, it is stunning. And now it's not just sort of the you know, radical whatever ministry on the edge. I mean, it is going mainstream in the local church. It's taking over because it's not just a new fad. It's a prophecy that Jesus said, my house shall become a house of prayer. It shall be called a house of prayer. It shall be known for being a place with a culture of prayer. This is an already decided upon and established reality in the mind of God. It is coming to pass. It doesn't matter if people like it or not. He prophesied it. It's going to happen. And we're watching it happen, I mean, all across the nations of the earth. It's shocking. So a major outcome of that is going to be a massive end-time harvest, a massive revival. And this is where it came together for me. When I realized that the prayer movement that God's raising up across the nations and the revival to come are one reality. That's what enabled me to jump fully in to the prayer movement because I realized what God had done in my heart and in regard to revival was to get me to engage with night and day prayer because those two things together will be the sort of the, uh, the cauldron, sort of, sort of the boiling pot to hold the, the massive harvest that's coming at the end of the age. It's not that we do prayer and then when revival hits, we start doing revival. The prayer meeting and the revival, they move together in sync. It's one reality. So that's our, our first Key premise, this global prayer movement will release justice and revival and a great harvest in the earth. Secondly, God is releasing the anointing that he put on the prophetess Anna. He's releasing that anointing on many, many, many people all over the earth right now. If I can say it this way, he's giving permission for people to serve him in night and day prayer as their vocation. Thousands upon thousands are finding themselves gripped with the vision to serve the Lord in night and day prayer as the main thing that they do. When we look at Luke chapter 2 and the verses there, and you can read it on your own, we see Anna. She was a prophetess, she was an evangelist, and she was an intercessor. 60 years, night and day. 60 years, night and day. And so what we have in Luke 1 is we have John the Baptist, the forerunner, the prophetic voice preparing the way of the Lord. And in Luke 2, we have Anna, the prophetic intercessory evangelist. And what you have with Luke 1 and Luke 2, it's a template because God raised up the forerunner and the intercessor together unto Jesus' first coming. And what we believe is this, that just like he did that unto Jesus' first coming, he's releasing the same anointings in the earth in this hour, the same stuff that was on John the Baptist, the same anointing that was upon Anna. He's releasing it on many, many, many across the nations unto Jesus' second coming. 
We have the picture in Luke 1 and 2 of how he did it the first time. He's doing it in a very similar way, but in mass across the nations of the earth unto Jesus' second coming. Now, I want to invite Jake Cantrell. Jake is one of our interns, uh, and I just want him to share a little testimony. He's come and done a three-month internship with us, and, uh, and I just want you to share just for a minute just what you, know, you were doing before you came to the house of prayer and what God's done in your heart um, you know, since you got here and, uh, and how that's kind of you know, shifted things in, in your life. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for letting me share. Um, so my name is Jake. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I've been here basically my whole life. And I uh, just turned 23 years old. My dad's uh, in ministry, so I grew up in church, been in church my whole life. And been serving Jesus since about 2008. And um, so basically, long story short for me, the Lord uh, brought me here, just um, a series of events of the Lord just basically stripping me of lots of things in my life. And I kind of hit this point where, uh, I just needed a, a wilderness season to seek the Lord, find out direction, like just things in life weren't making sense. And so I get here, and uh, basically I just, I've, the Lord just completely blindsided me with everything really that Billy's talking about right here, with just the prayer movement, what God's doing on the earth right now, what God's doing globally, um, just in the prayer movement, and just, and just also just a lifestyle of praying and fasting. And, and I truly believe that this is one of, if not the, a major thing that God's doing on the earth right now. And, you know, I think that it, it is a normal Christian life to live in a way that is living with the return of Jesus in mind. And with that in mind, with, with sharing the gospel. And, and I first got here and Billy was talking, uh, doing your series on the gospel. Yeah. And I remember for me that was so huge to know that not only is this a place where people are diving in and going deep in the word and, and knowing God in deep ways, but also that we were taking it out and, and sharing with people. And, um, See, so, yeah, I mean, the Lord's just really opened my eyes to the whole thing, but, but also just intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, go ahead. And, um, and spending time with Him, I feel like, um, you know, spending a, spending a season in the prayer. Is there anybody who's thinking about doing an internship in here? Just curious. There's a few hands. Cool. Well, I would definitely encourage you guys to do it. I mean, it's not even necessarily about IHOP or the prayer movement, although the Lord might call you into that, but um, it's really about you and Jesus uh, knowing God deeper, um, sitting in a room and having that space with you and Holy Spirit to allow the Spirit of God to work in you, to convict you of things, to show you things that you need to, to change your life, but really just to know the Word deeply, to know God deeply. And um, so that aspect of things has also been And you were doing amazing. ministry stuff, your worship leader, before you came here. Mm-hmm. Came here not really knowing about the house of prayer, just sort of thought it was a worshipy something, something. And I just didn't know. You just didn't even know what you were getting into. Yeah. Amen. And so you went from, you were kind of the, I mean, you said amongst your friends, you were kind of the intense guy, and then you come here, and it's like 24 hours in the prayer room, and, uh, and now you're in this place where it's like, man, I just need to know the Lord. I just need more of the Lord. I mean, just, just say a sentence or two about that, because that's a key thing. That's a critical thought. You, you go from being the, the sort of intense guy to, man, I don't even know God, to, now I'm praying 24 hours a week, and man, I can't get enough. Um, yeah, I mean, there's always more of the Lord. We all know that. I mean, I feel like if you talk to somebody who knew me, they would have described me as that. But I got here, and like, pretty much after the first week, I was just kind of sitting back, like, kind of bug-eyed, like, I don't even know if I know the Lord. Like, 
was questioning like my salvation a little bit, just of like, <laughs> honestly, if I'd made Jesus like full Lord of my life, you know, and um, so yes, I mean, it's been a huge eye opener just that, I mean, I'll just be completely, completely honest. For me, one tangible thing is like, I never even read through the entire New Testament. And, uh, you know, I've been following Jesus since 2008 and uh, been leading people in ministry and stuff like that. But honestly, coming here is just a huge eye-opener to what I was lacking in my knowledge of the Lord and knowledge of the Bible and, and who God really is. So, no, That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, bro. And, and I wanted him to share because here you go. Here you have a young man. He's in ministry. He's leading worship in, in actually rather sizable venues. And, and by his own admission, he said, you know, I hadn't even read through the whole New Testament. So he's got, you know, a, he looks fiery to his friends, got a marginal actual devotional life, comes here. He's in the prayer room 24 hours a week in, in the word and in prayer. And he's saying, and it's not enough. I need more. Now, what is that? What is that when God takes that person who doesn't even know what they're coming to and grips them with night and day prayer and, and he can't get enough of Jesus? What is it? That's the grace that was on Anna. That's what that is. This lady spent 60 years in night and day prayer serving the Lord continuously. Well, we see this happen to people all the time where the Lord grips their heart and they're just in the place of worship and prayer and they're saying, man, I just can't get enough of God. And I know that's exactly what happened to me. I remember when I first came to the prayer, prayer movement, when I first connected and, I was, and I w- I'd moved to Kansas City and I'd sit in the prayer room and man, they had these people that would, you know, these worship leaders, they would play the same songs every two hours. And I mean, you know, you'd sit through the first worship set, you're like, okay, that was, that was good. It was two hours, a little long. Good, next set. Worship leader number two doesn't know the songs worship leader number one plays and plays all the same songs. And I'm like, is this a joke? Are they kidding? Well, you do that five days a week, and then, you know, three or four worship leaders in a row, and they're all playing the same song. And by the end of the week, you're ready to tackle somebody because it's just monotonous. And you're thinking, what in the world? Don't these guys have a plan? Like, get a plan, get a different song. Come on, man, you're torturing me. And literally, the first little bit of time was so painful for me because I was so connected to events and platforms and all that stuff. And then something happened in my heart where the attraction wasn't the worship team. It wasn't the song. It wasn't the event or the special, whatever. The attraction became Jesus. And all of a sudden, after spending six and eight hours in the prayer room, I would go home and my heart would be, would be gripped with longing for the Lord after I just prayed eight eight hours that day. What is that? That's the grace that was on Anna. Guys, the Lord's doing this all over the place. Everywhere I go, I meet people, they go, all I want to do is serve the Lord in night and day prayer. All I want to do is spend my days before him. I'm telling you, he's releasing this grace on people and he's commissioning them forth into night and day prayer. And the end of it is going to be this, a global company of intercessors. Isaiah 62 calls them watchmen on the wall. A global company of churches and houses of prayer with many, many, many who are vocational intercessors. I mean thousands upon thousands. And that global symphony of prayer that's coming from the church and coming from those that are vocational in the place of worship and prayer, 
that global symphony is going to welcome the Lord Jesus back to the planet. Now, I don't, you know, we always say we don't know if it's five years or 50 years. We're not guys that put timing on it. I believe it's more, it's closer to 50 than it is five. Nonetheless, the signs are so evident that this is a key thing the Lord is doing. He's taking guys like Jake, plucking them from where they were, dropping a grace on them for fasting and prayer and spending long hours before the Lord. And the end of it will be global revival, the return of the Lord, and the full salvation of Israel. That's what he's doing. All right, good. Number, it's the third one. The end time plan of God has as its central focus raising up churches who are founded on a culture of prayer. And there it is again in Isaiah 62. It's the watchman communities. We have this as a a key premise that we're operating from, from. It's not just houses of prayer. It's praying churches. In fact, I think there will be a small number of house of prayer missions bases that are 24-7, but a large number of churches that are founded in what I call a culture of prayer, 20, 30, 40 hours a week of continuous worship and prayer. This is what the Lord is going to do with his church. As I said before, Matthew 21, verse 13, it is a prophetic imperative. The Lord will see to it that his house shall be called a house of prayer. You can't duck it. You're not going to be able to get around it. It doesn't really matter. This is something he is going to have. And so he will have it even, even in spite of us. He will, he will grip our hearts and turn us that direction because he's already prophesied it, that his people will be a praying people. All right, next. This is something we've talked about in recent days. Much more. We've believed it for years. In fact, this is a seven, eight-year-old document but it's something we're seeing so clearly now that the prayer movement and the missions movement are one reality. It used to be this. The prayer people were over here. The missions people were over here. They never went and did anything together. They just each thought each other was weird, missing out on what the other people were doing. Well, here's what God's done. It seems like almost overnight, God's taken the prayer people and made them the missions people and taken the missions people, and made them the prayer people, and he's converged prayer and missions nearly right before our eyes, almost in one instant. In January, we'll have our leadership summit where we'll bring in leaders from all over the nation, and other nations as well. We'll have some of the key leaders from YWAM, the largest missions agency in the world. They will show up here, and they will talk about prayer and mission as one reality and and how God is doing that across the nations of the earth. I'm I'm just, it it shocks me because 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this was not the reality. Now it is the key thing God's doing. Prayer and mission together all over the nations of the earth. And they they will stand up here and they will say the exact same thing that I'm saying. Well, they're the missions people and I'm supposed to be the prayer guy. Well, guess what? We're both the prayer and missions guy, and this is what the Lord's doing. We're operating from this premise. That's one reason why we are, we are so committed, not just to night and day prayer, but to seeing people launched from the furnace of night and day prayer into the nations. And as I said before, if, if you have a, a passion to touch the nations of the earth, we want to launch you. We want to see you in the nations of the earth with a, with a paradigm of prayer and, and, a, and a forerunner idea, forerunner mentality. So we call them intercessory missionaries. Missionaries that are prayer people. Prayer people that are missionaries. That's what we call them. That's what the house of prayer is built on. And I believe this is how God is going to bring about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. In fact, I think it's really clear in the scriptures. 
All right, finally, and this is in some ways should be number one, but the key component the Lord identifies in the scriptures is that night and day prayer will be the mechanism he uses to see the full salvation of Israel. Now listen, God chose Israel. He picked that nation. He said, I will bring my beautiful son through this people. And he doesn't intend to lose that people to agnosticism and atheism and rebellion to their, to their savior. He will have 100% salvation in the nation of Israel before this thing is said and done. They will be a burning and shining lamp. They will be a diadem, the scripture says in Isaiah 62, a jewel in the hand of the king. 100% of that nation will be born again, burning in fiery righteousness. And the mechanism the Lord is using to do that is night and day prayer. He's going to take a global symphony of prayer in intercession that will ultimately target and it will ultimately culminate in the birthing of the full salvation of Israel. How do you take this nation that's become mostly agnostic and atheist and turned away from their creator. How do you take that nation and get them to burn in righteousness? God says, I've already done it. I've set watchmen on your wall, Jerusalem. They'll never hold their peace day or night. And then he encourages the intercessors and he says, and you who cry out to the Lord, that's us in night and day prayer. You cry out, don't give the Lord any rest and and do not keep silent until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then in Romans eleven twenty five and 26, he says the full number of Gentiles will get born again and then all Israel shall be saved. Beloved, this is what's coming. And God's using this global tapestry of prayer to bring it to pass. So there you have it. There's our mission statement. There's some of our key premises. This is the target that we continue to to shoot at and and go for from a mission standpoint, day in and day out. Now, as I said before, if if these things resonate with you, man, awesome. You're in the right place. This is is the community you want to connect to. We have a common vision around these things. We have unity around these things, of course, firstly with the Lord Jesus and and then around these things. It's much broader, our our value system and, and, and the details of our vision are much broader than this. These are key thoughts. Our vision and values class goes through in much more detailed fashion. Uh, you know, so much more of our value system and, and our mission here. But uh, if, this, if this resonates with you, then this is your place. If you hear this and you go, man, that's cool stuff. It doesn't really resonate with me. I'm not really feeling it. Hey, that's great. I have, I have nothing but high five and blessing for you. But I would encourage you, lock into some place that does. I mean, you can come here for services or come to the prayer room or whatever. But lock into a community that you can run with. Because this is what the Lord is saying to us right now. That we need to lock in and run together. We need to go together all the same direction. We need to really build our, 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 our common vision, our common unity. Really build our, our fellowship with one another. Our service together and move forward together. And so that's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking about life together. That's why we're talking about community. Amen. In the coming weeks, I'm going to talk about fellowship. I'm going to talk about service. 
I'm going to give you good ideas and, and tangible things that you can connect to in the areas of fellowship, in the areas of service. What I want you to do is take these things away. Study them. Take them in the prayer room. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart about these things. And, and ask him, what's your role? How, how are you supposed to connect here?